Chapter Four of the Silent House. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elena. The Silent House by Fergus Hume. Chapter Four. Mrs. Kebby's Discovery. The pertinacity which Berwin displayed in insisting that Lucian should explore the Silent House was truly remarkable. He appeared to be bent upon banishing the idea which Denzil entertained that strangers were hiding in the mansion. From attic to basement, from front to back premises, he led the way, and made Lucian examine every corner of the empty rooms. He showed him even the unused kitchen, and bade him remark that the door leading into the yard was locked and bolted, and, from the rusty condition of the ironwork, could not have been opened for years. Also, he made him look out of the window into the yard itself, with its tall black fence dividing it from the other properties. This exploration finished, and Lucian being convinced that himself and his host were the only two living beings in the house, Berwin conducted his half-frozen guest back to the warm sitting-room, and poured out a glass of wine. "'Here, Mr. Denzil,' said he in good-natured tones, "'drink this, and draw near the fire. You must be chilled to the bone after our Arctic expedition.' Lucian willingly accepted both these attentions, and sipped his wine— it was particularly fine claret, before the fire, while Berwin coughed and shivered and muttered to himself about the cold of the season. When Lucian stood up to take his departure, he addressed him directly. "'Well, sir,' said he, with a sardonic smile, "'are you convinced that the struggling shadows on yonder blind were children of your heated fancy?' "'No,' said Denzil stoutly. "'I am not.' "'Yet you have seen that there is no one in the house.' "'Mr. Berwin,' said Lucian, after a moment's thought. "'You propose a riddle which I cannot answer, and which I do not wish to answer. I cannot explain what I saw to-night, but as surely as you were out of this house, some people were in it. How this affects you, or what reason you have for denying it, I do not ask. Keep your own secrets, and go your own way. I wish you good-night, sir.' And Lucian moved towards the door. Berwin, who was holding a full tumbler of rich, strong port, drank the whole of it in one gulp. The strong liquor reddened his pallid face and brightened his sunken eyes. It even strengthened his already sonorous voice. "'At least you can inform my good neighbors that I am a peaceful man, desirous of being left to lead my own life,' he said urgently. "'No, sir. I will have nothing to do with your business. You are a stranger to me, and our acquaintance is too slight to warrant my discussing your affairs. Besides,' added Lucian with a shrug, they do not interest me. Yet they may interest the three kingdoms one day, said Berwin softly. Oh, if they deal with danger to society, said Denzil, thinking his strange neighbor spoke of anarchistic schemes, I would—they deal with danger to myself, interrupted Berwin. I am a hunted man, and I hide here from those who wish me ill. I am dying, as you see, he cried, striking his hollow chest, but I may not die quickly enough for those who desire my death. "'Who are they?' cried Lucian, rather startled by this outburst. "'People with whom you have no concern,' replied the man sullenly. "'That is true enough, Mr. Berwin, so I'll say good-night.' "'Berwin, Berwin, ha-ha, <laughs> a very good name, Berwin, but not for me. Oh, was there ever so unhappy a creature as I? False name, false friend, in disgrace, in hiding, curse everybody. Go, go, Mr. Denzil.' and leave me to die here like a rat in its hole. 
"'You are ill,' said Lucian, amazed by the man's fury. "'Shall I send a doctor to see you?' "'Send no one,' cried Berwin, commanding himself by a visible effort. "'Only go away and leave me to myself. Thou canst not minister to a mind diseased. Go, go!' "'Good night, then,' said Denzil, seeing that nothing could be done. "'I hope you will be better in the morning.' Berwin shook his head and with a silent tongue, which contrasted strangely with his late outcry, ushered Denzil out of the house. As the heavy door closed behind him, Lucian descended the steps and looked thoughtfully at the grim mansion, which was tenanted by so mysterious a person. He could make nothing of Berwin, as he chose to call himself. He could see no meaning in his wild words and mad behaviour, but as he walked briskly back to his lodgings, he came to the conclusion that the man was nothing worse than a tragic drunkard, haunted by terrors engendered by overindulgence and stimulants. The episode of the shadows on the blind he did not attempt to explain, for the simple reason that he was unable to find any plausible explanation to account therefor. "'And why should I trouble my head to do so?' mused Lucian, as he went to bed. "'The man and his mysteries are nothing to me. Bah! I have been infected by the vulgar curiosity of the square. Henceforth I'll neither see nor think of this drunken lunatic.' and with such resolve he dismissed all thoughts of his strange acquaintance from his mind, which, under the circumstances, was perhaps the wisest thing he could do. But later on certain events took place which forced him to alter his determination. Fate, with her own ends to bring about, is not to be denied by her puppets, and of these Lucian was one, designed for an important part in the drama which was to be played. Mrs. Marjorie Kebby, who attended to the domestic economy of Berwin's house, was a deaf old crone with a constant thirst, only to be assuaged by strong drink, and a filching hand which was usually in every pocket save her own. She had neither kith nor kin, nor friends, nor even acquaintances, but, being something of a miser, scraped and screwed to amass money she had no need for, and dwelt in a wretched little apartment in a back slum, whence she daily issued to work little and pilfer much. Usually at nine o'clock she brought in her employer's breakfast from the Nelson Hotel, which was outside the square, and while he was enjoying it in bed, after his fashion, she cleaned out and made tidy the sitting-room. Berwin then dressed and went out for a walk, despite Miss Grebe's contention that he took the air only at night, like an owl, and during his absence Mrs. Kebby attended to the bedroom. She then went about her own business, which was connected with the cleaning of various other apartments, and only returned at midday and at night to lay the table for Berwin's luncheon and dinner, or rather, dinner and supper, which were also sent in from the hotel. For these services, Berwin paid her well, and only enjoined her to keep a quiet tongue about his private affairs, which Mrs. Kebby usually did, until excited by two copious drams of gin, when she talked freely and unwisely to all the servants in the square. It was to her observation and invention that Berwin owed his bad reputation." Well known in every kitchen, Mrs. Kebby hobbled from one to the other, gossiping about the various affairs of her various employers, and when absolute knowledge failed, she took to inventing details which did no small credit to her imagination. Also, she could tell fortunes by reading tea-leaves and shuffling cards, and was not above aiding the maid-servants in their small love affairs. In short, Mrs. Kebby was a dangerous old witch, who, a century back, would have been burnt at the stake and the worst possible person for Berwin to have in his house. Had he known of her lying and prating, she would not have remained an hour under his roof. 
but Mrs. Kebby was cunning enough to steer clear of such a danger in the most dexterous manner. She had a firm idea that Berwin had, in her own emphatic phrase, done something, for which he was wanted by the police, and was always on the lookout to learn the secret of his isolated life, in order to betray him, or blackmail him, or get him in some way under her thumb. As yet, she had been unsuccessful. Deeming her a weak, quiet old creature, Berwin, in spite of his suspicious nature, entrusted Mrs. Kebby with the key of the front door, so that she could enter for her morning's work without disturbing him. The sitting-room door itself was not always locked, but Berwin usually bolted the portal of his bedroom, and had invariably to rise and admit Mrs. Kebby with his breakfast. The same routine was observed each morning, and everything went smoothly. Mrs. Kebby had heard of the blind shadows from several people, and had poked and pried all over the house in the hope of arriving at some knowledge of the substantial flesh-and-blood figures which cast them. But in this quest, which was intended to put money into her own pocket, she failed entirely, and during the whole six months of Berwin's tenancy she never saw a living soul in Number 13, save her employer, nor could she ever find any evidence to show that Berwin had received visitors during her absence. The man was as great a mystery to Mrs. Kebby as he was to the square, in spite of her superior opportunities of learning the truth. On Christmas Eve the old woman brought in a cold supper for Berwin, as usual, making several journeys to and fro between hotel and house for that purpose. She laid the table, made up the fire, and before taking her leave asked Mr. Berwin if he wanted anything else. "'No, I think not,' replied the man, who looked wretchedly ill. "'You can bring my breakfast to-morrow.' "'At nine, sir?' "'At the usual time,' answered Berwin impatiently. "'Go away.' Mrs. Kebby gave a final glance round to see that all was in order, and shuffled out of the room as fast as her rheumatism would let her. As she left the house eight o'clock chimed from the steeple of a near church, and Mrs. Kebby, clinking her newly received wages in her pocket, hurried out of the square to do her Christmas marketing. As she went down the street which led to it, Blinders, a burly, ruddy-faced policeman, who knew her well— stopped to make an observation. "'Is that good gentleman of yours home, Mrs. Kebby?' he asked, in the loud tones used to deaf people. "'Oh, he's home,' grumbled Mrs. Kebby ungraciously. "'Sittin' afore the fire like Solomon in all his glory. What do you want to know for?' "'I saw him an hour ago,' explained Blinders, "'and I thought he looked ill.' "'So he do, like a corpse. What of that? We've all got to come to it some day.' "'How do you know but what he won't be dead afore morning? "'Well, I don't care. "'He's paid me up till to-night. "'I'm going to enjoy myself, I am. "'Don't you get drunk, Mrs. Kebby, or I'll lock you up.' "'Garn,' grunted the old bell-dame. "'What's Christmas Eve for if it ain't for folk to enjoy theirselves? "'You're on duty early.' "'I'm taking the place of a sick comrade, and I'll be on duty all night. "'That's my Christmas.' "'Well, well.' "'Let every one enjoy self as he likes,' muttered Mrs. Kebby, and shuffled off to the nearest public-house. Here she began to celebrate the season, and afterwards went shopping. Then she celebrated the season again, and later carried home her purchases to the miserable garret she occupied. In this den Mrs. Kebby, with the aid of gin and water, celebrated the season until she drank herself to sleep. Next morning she woke in anything but an amiable mood— and had to fortify herself with an early drink before she was fit to go about her business. It was almost nine when she reached the Nelson Hotel, 
and found the covered tray with Mr. Berwin's breakfast waiting for her. So she hurried with it to Geneva Square as speedily as possible, fearful of a scolding. Having admitted herself into the house, Mrs. Kebby took up the tray with both hands, and pushed open the sitting-room door with her foot. Here, at the sight which met her eyes, she dropped the tray with a crash, and let off a shrill yell. The room was in disorder, the table was overturned, and amid the wreckage of glass and china lay Mark Berwin, with outspread hands, stone dead, stabbed to the heart. End of chapter 4 Recording by Elena, Cocoa, Florida